Hi, everyone, and welcome to Coach's Corner. I've got a great conversation for you today. We're going to talk a lot about productivity and creativity. So you may be someone who loves your to-do list. You may call yourself type A. You like being really productive. You have a lot of guilt and like nervousness that comes out when you're not doing or when you haven't finished everything on your to-do list. Or maybe you're on the other side and you're super creative and you love flow and you love thinking in visionary ways. And then you often have guilt and shame that you're not productive enough, or maybe you fall somewhere in the middle or a little bit of both. You're going to love my guest today. Her name is Madeline Dorr. She is a writer and interviewer exploring how we can broaden the definition of a day well spent. For the past five years, she's been asking creative thinkers how they navigate their days on her popular blog, Extraordinary Routines, and her podcast, Routines and Ruts. She regularly conducts life experiments and hosts events to examine how creativity isn't just something we do, but it's how we approach life. Madeline spent those five years interviewing creative thinkers, looking for the secret to productivity, only to find out guess what? There isn't one. Instead, she reveals we're all being set up to fail. In her new book, I Didn't Do the Thing Today, she encourages us to say no to more time management techniques and yes to the joyful messiness, delightful discipline, and unpredictability of life. And especially these last two years, I think that one quality we've all really had to learn is how to be adaptable and how to be, as my father would say, nimble, how to just change because things are constantly changing. So like I said, I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation and get some relief, especially if you feel bogged down by your to-do list or you feel like you're not doing enough. I think this, this conversation will be good medicine for you. Before we dive in, I want to thank my sponsor, which is Organifi. Love me some Organifi. You can get all your Organifi goods for 20% off at Organifi.com slash over it. And they are an incredible line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition with high quality ingredients and less than three grams of sugar. I've been dosing up on my immunity that they make, which is amazing. I put it in my water, especially with all the stuff going around. I also love, I can't have one when I'm pregnant, but I also love their green juice. I love their Organifi Gold, which is like this turmeric latte thing. Their red juice, which I can't have pregnant is another great source of antioxidants, immunity booster, all kinds of stuff. It tastes good. It's easy. And I think Organifi products are reasonably priced as well, especially with your 20% off discount anytime you go and order. So Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash over it. All right. And now on to my conversation with Madeline Dorr. Madeline, welcome to the show. I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy to be joining you, Christine. Well, we're going to talk about a lot of things today, but I want to start with bringing two words up that sometimes seem contradictory, which is productivity and creativity. And Mm -hmm. I have a lot of listeners that would identify as being very linear, very productive, very type A, and have a hard time tapping in their creativity. And then I have a lot of creative people, people would identify more creative, that kind of emotional, creative, visionary thinker who often have a hard time being quote unquote productive. So I want to start with, can productivity and creativity go together? Oh, what a beautiful question, Christine. And and when you were speaking, I was almost seeing the two nestled into each other. Mm. Uh, so I think that there's a beautiful overlap, if not 
uh, a way that they kind of encompass one another. So I think that especially with creativity, if we take away the idea that you have to be artistic to be creative and we just look at creativity as an innate human trait that we all possess and we can apply to various parts of our daily lives, not just a creative practice, then we can really broaden the definition of creativity and see that the creative process is something that has moments of very potent productivity within it. So the creative process, for those that might not be familiar, has been broken down in many different stages and and people have differing ideas around what those specific stages are. But one of them is the preparation stage. So that's when you might be researching or you might be looking at inspiration. And then there's the incubation stage where you really let that idea or that research sort of linger in your mind and let it really settle in and and see what comes to the fore. And then you have an illumination stage. That's the epiphany that we can have in the shower. And then there's the verification stage. And that in many ways is the the stage of, of, of that potent productivity where we really are doing, where we really are working on the thing. And so I think that creativity really encompasses productivity and you almost need to be creative in order to be productive I would say, because you need to be able to have that preparation and all the stages that come before it. I think we can have such a narrow definition of what productivity is, mm-hmm. but who's to say that thinking isn't being productive? It, it very much is. So, yeah, I see the beautiful overlap. What about you, Christine? I, I agree. I think you hit it. You hit so many points there, but what you said last really struck me because it's we have a way we think we're supposed to be. Productive people have Mm. a way they think they're supposed to be creative and creative people have a way they think they're supposed to be productive. And as you said, even thinking can be creative. You know, I was talking to someone this morning and she was like, I'm great at, you know, the vision, but then it comes to the steps. And I had to remind her, no, you're really great at steps. You just might do it differently than other people. So how can people that may identify as more that creative type how can they start to reframe productivity and see the ways they are productive that may not look the same as someone who time blocks and makes to-do mm. lists and you know achieves all their goals by a certain date? And then they compare themselves to that person and deduce that they're not being productive. Yes. Uh, I think so much of it comes down to this comparison that can follow us around. And I think it can be so freeing when we have that realization that it doesn't have to look like somebody else's method, process, day, life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, and it, it's we hear it again and again, I feel, but it, it, it can be a difficult thing to really, really internalize and, and live that I, I can go about my day in my own way and embrace that. And, and, it, and sometimes I think that if we, if we are going about things with our own approach. We can feel like we're taking shortcuts or we're getting it wrong or we're we're kind of bumping up against things. But but really everybody has that feeling and mm-hmm. so it really is just about embracing that. So I think it I think one of the things is definitely to tackle this idea of comparison. And then I think it really is about experimenting with what does work. I think there's such a temptation to assume that other people have it figured out. So we look to them for the secret and then we try to apply the secret to our lives, but it doesn't quite fit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because we can't recreate the same recipe with different ingredients. So something that's really helped me (laughs) is this idea of seeing our 
processes as being like a sponge. And so we, like a sponge, you need to absorb things. And so that's when you can really take in the inspiration. There's a lot of stillness. You might not be be looking like you're doing much, but it really is that thinking time that we just spoke about. And then like a sponge, you'll need the squeeze at some point because otherwise if you if you absorb too long, you get soggy and there's inertia and you need that moment where you, you do squeeze and that that does look like the busyness and the productivity. And so there's this beautiful oscillation because you need both. And so I think that if there's just a frame that can help you embrace whatever your process is without looking at other other people and assuming that you're getting it wrong, I think that that can be a beautiful antidote, I think, to the pressure mm-hmm. to be productive in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And how do you think productivity can be a coping mechanism? And what I mean by that is we live in a world where people that get a lot of stuff done are pedestalized. Mm. It's like, oh my God, like look Mm. at how much you got done. But often, and I'm not saying this is true for everyone who gets a lot done, but often when I dig deeper with people that externally get a lot done, they're also trying to distract themselves from big feelings maybe things that they don't want to deal with, self-worth issues, so on and so forth. So I'm just wondering if you see, like, what are some of the the costs of productivity? Like, well, how can it be, I don't want to say bad because I don't think that's the right word, but how can it, um, mm-hmm. yeah, be a coping mechanism or be covering something else up? Mm. Yeah, that really is what you said about how we put productivity on a pedestal and this idea of busyness in particular, on a pedestal and we use it to define ourselves. So we, you know, we hear again and again, how are you? And the response is, is busy as if it embodies our <laughs> our sense of self. Mm-hmm. And not only do we do that, but we also, so we identify as busy, but we also use it as a measure of our worth. And so I think it, it we're swimming in a society that that is measuring our value through our productivity and 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 busyness is is really one way to prove that prove that to other people to prove that to ourselves and so um i think that it's it's no wonder in many ways that we use it as as a way to um to communicate status to communicate a, a sense of validation um all of these things so i think in in many parts we're not to blame for that um, but I think that it is a hamster wheel and, and perhaps once we're on that or if we've internalised this idea that our, our busyness is our, our sense of worth, then it can be difficult to, to hop off um, because then who are we without mm-hmm. the doing? Um, and so I think in, in, in many ways we can crowd our, our schedules, we can be that our, our, our work schedules or even our social calendar or or even the weekend can be overcrowded with with things to do so that we don't need to be still and we don't need to to be with ourselves because if we have to be with ourselves and we've attached our sense of worth to being busy then when we're not busy we can confuse that as as us not being worthwhile right. in any way and that's quite confronting and so i'm not sure what the salve is there in in terms of perhaps the beautiful work that that you do in terms of of really helping people find a, a a grounded sense of worth in in who they are with without the external things without the doing without the attachment to perhaps other people um, and and really finding something a, a steady ballast. Mm, mm. I, I want to 
unpack a little bit about what comes up for the doers when they're not doing, because this is something I hear from clients mm. all the time that are the, the doers. When they're not doing, they feel tremendously guilty and they can't mm-hmm. really relax unless it's productive relaxation. Maybe they went to acupuncture or something and therefore it's okay <laughs> because they're doing something. So what advice do you have for people that have like this, you know, kind of guilt thing that comes up when they're not doing, when they're not being quote unquote productive and they think they're not worthy or they're falling behind. That's a big thing I hear from productivity Mm. junkies. I'm falling behind, I'm falling behind. I have to be doing. And so they, they, they just can't relax. Mm. Mm. Yes. Oh, this is where it can get quite beautifully existential. I think Christine, because I think that falling behind, it's definitely something that I've lamented again and again myself. And then you think, falling behind what exactly? Like we mm-hmm. are living our lives and we have limited days. And so on the one hand, maybe there is this pressure to, you know, carpe diem and seize every moment and, and make sure that we're not behind or we're not missing things or we're crossing off our to-do list because we have this one limited precious life. But at the same time, if we're rushing through it and not noticing our lives, then is that really seizing every moment. And so I think it it really is about becoming curious as the antidote to perhaps the busyness hamster wheel and and curious about how it is we want to spend our lives, curious about why do I overcrowd my schedule when I actually have a choice? Sometimes there isn't the choice there and that might be for various circumstances or just a a point in your life where the calendar is squished. (laughs) But when there is a choice, it can be interesting, I think, and something to interrogate when we add something to our list or we take on another job or we, we pick something up even when we already know we're overstretched, maybe we're afraid that there might be free time in the future, so we crowd it now. <laughs> it's almost like we can be we can be the the doers can even be making themselves busy in the future as well as the present. And so I think that I suppose I know that I've kind of gone on a beautiful little um, no, that's great. I love winding tangents. path there, <laughs> but just to, yeah, to come back to this this the I suppose the antidote, I think, is curiosity. And even if the curiosity is about the guilt itself, um, guilt can be constructive and then it can be a guide, but it can also be, it can be quite, um, quite trapping. And I know that you've spoken about guilt beautifully previously about how it's thoughts trapped in the body. And so I think, again, it's just about being curious about why it is we're so busy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. And I think that it's, it's like we talked about earlier, just a coping mechanism. And when that I'm not doing feeling comes up, one question that I asked myself when I used to be a doing junkie, which I'm not anymore, I'm great at relaxing. <laughs> it's awesome. Oh, good. <laughs> what helps you, do you think, Christine? Oh, my body giving out on me, having yeah. massive adrenal and hormonal issues in my 30s. Mm-hmm. And it took me years to – um you know, change that, but my body was shouting at me, but I would yeah. just, you know, have more coffee. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Cause it was organic, healthy coffee. I mean, or mate or whatever, you know? Um, and I just had, I was just, I was running on fumes. I was running on the high mm. of, you know, my career and everything that was exciting that was happening in my life. And, um, and I, I still had, you know, always been involved in meditation and personal development work and all that kind of stuff. 
But it was hard for me to like stop unless I felt like I accomplished everything on my to-do list. Then it, mm-hmm. then I had permission to stop. Yeah. But if there were still unfinished items on my quote-unquote to-do list, then it was harder, which brings me to a question, two-part question. Mm-hmm. One, do you think to-do lists work? Like, are they any good to have? And two, how do we like relax even if we're not done? Like even if we haven't finished what we have claimed we, you know, want to finish. Mm, yes. Oh, beautiful. Because I am such a to-do list aficionado. So mm-hmm. I, I think I'll, I'll always be drawn to a to-do list, but I now see them for what they are. So I suppose the first part of that question is, is do they work? And I think that like anything can work if it's a fit for you, like we were saying earlier, finding what works and experimenting. And a to-do list can be a great way to organize things. It can be a great way to calm an anxious mind. It can be a great way to even get out what's in your mind onto a page. And and sometimes when you see everything that you are telling yourself you need to do, when you see it on a page, you think, oh, no wonder I'm feeling untethered and and overwhelmed. Look at this list of things I'm carrying around. And that can be a great tool to even sort of cross off what might not be necessary. And so I think that they are helpful, but I think that they can be unhelpful when we hold them so tightly and we see them as something that needs to be crossed off at the end of the day. Otherwise, our day and ourselves, we are a failure if we don't get through them. I think that's when it becomes very unconstructive. And it, it can be a real, it's a real antithesis to how a day unfolds. We can have the list, but interruptions happen, distractions come to the fore, emergencies, priorities shift. And so a day doesn't unfold like a perfectly ordered to-do list. And so I think the the second part of the, the question there is sort of how do we cope with not completing the to-do list? A reframe that has been incredibly helpful as a to-do list <laughs> aficionado is to see the list of incomplete things as a list of possibilities. So it's not a list of failures because they're not complete. It's a list of possibilities and and things that I still get to do. And that's just a reframe that that really helps Mm. change it from from being a failure. And then to extend that, it's really about seeing or reframing this idea of complete in the first instance. And it was really interesting to find out that the word perfect comes from complete and in many ways, we're never complete. And if we were complete, how dreary, actually, because we'd have nothing less left to learn. We would have nothing left to explore and be curious about and experiment. And so we actually don't want to be complete. We want to keep evolving and growing. And that's what we're all sort of hungry for is, is how can we keep transforming and and learning? And so why are we obsessed with completing our to-do list when mm-hmm. we don't want to be complete? Yeah. Mm. It's so true. It's so true. And uh, for me, it was dealing with the discomfort of what comes up when I'm not doing and looking at how much I identified with what I did and how much still I, and and this is something that I I definitely have made so much progress on, but in the Mm. past, I really identified with what I could do, what I could accomplish. And that was how I sourced my self-worth. And I think that's at the heart of why so many of us are addicted to doing because at a young age, we started getting validation for achievement and we feel guilt and even shame when we're, when we're not doing, mm-hmm. I want to shift gears to the more, the creatives <laughs> that are like, I, do, I can't manage a to-do list. Like that just doesn't work for me. 
Do you have any tips for how people that are that more creative visionary type can, I don't know, feel organized, have a system. We already talked about not comparing yourself to the productive type, but where we, we talked for the more productive people who love to do lists, their learning opportunity, their growth opportunity is really to look at what comes up when you don't do, you know, what are you Mm -hmm. repressing? What are you distracting yourself from? How is that have become your identity and sense of self-worth and source of self-worth. So for the creative people who maybe resist being quote unquote productive or really getting in and like getting things done, whether it's calling your insurance company or cleaning your closet or launching your business, what do you think their growth opportunity is? Oh, I love this because it, it just speaks to how we each have different stumbles that we're encountering. Mm-hmm. So it, and I think that's so true is that everything has this beautiful grayness to it in in many ways or multicolored <laughs> spectrum because the, none of this is is good or bad like being busy might might be in what some people need and and for some people it might be more rest so it's just such a beautiful pendulum so I just wanted to note that um as a as a wonderful thing about being varied human beings and in terms of i suppose the the other side of it is is so how do you do the things that you want to do when you spend a lot of a lot more time maybe in the absorbing part of the sponge metaphor rather than the squeezing and i think perhaps i can speak to that on a personal note because i tend to i'd say that my writing process and my work process does have quite a slow timeline so i need a lot of space in my schedule a lot of space in my day there's a lot of that thinking time a lot of that absorbing space sponge time. And so I have had to develop, I suppose, tricks for myself to, to get into that mode of, of actually doing and squeezing. And I, I have this big caveat because again, I really think it is about finding your own way and experimenting and and not following someone else's recipe. And here I am about to dish up mine. (laughs) And so these, I suppose, tricks have been something I've landed on after a lot of experimenting and, and realizing that I couldn't sort of pick up other way, other people's modes. But I have something that I like to call puddle theory, um, mm. which is when you do have this big overwhelming task or this overwhelming ambition, maybe it's to write a novel or put on an exhibition, whatever it might be. Um, when we look at it at the whole, it can feel like this overwhelming, insurmountable tidal wave of, of, of things to do. And you think, how could I possibly ever begin? Look at this thing. And, and so a reframe for me was really about, well, how can I break this tidal wave into small little puddles that I can manage to step into? And so when I have something that I need to be doing and I'm feeling that overwhelmed sense or that inertia to begin because it's just too much, <laughs> I will um, list all the little tasks and, and and form little puddles. And I find that that's a, a great trick for my mind because it makes it playful. I can step into mm. a puddle I can splash about and it doesn't matter so much where we begin. I think another thing for those who do find the squeeze harder is that you can be caught in indecision in terms of, well, do I start at this part or do I start at that part? And so you don't start at any part. <laughs> Whereas puddle theory, start anywhere because the the important part is to start and then you can jump about to different puddles. And I find that once I have that small task and make it as small as possible, I set a timer to block any distraction, mm. distracting apps, and then I focus on that task. And I just tell myself, I'm going to think about this thing for 20 minutes or 40 minutes or whatever it might be, and just tell yourself you're just 
splashing around in that puddle. And that's when, again, that I find that the momentum can come. And so take whichever little part of that might work. But I think, again, it's it's really about finding these little tricks for yourself and experimenting to land on them yourself and whatever frame you need. And there's so many different things to experiment um, when it comes to focusing. Or you can completely just embrace your own shambolic schedule. Who's to say that, you know, I think creativity has its own timeline and we need to sort of also have a patience with the creative process and sometimes allow things to take the time that they take. And so maybe that's something to be embracing of as well, instead of maybe thinking, oh, maybe I need to write a list or, oh, maybe I need to put on this Pomodoro timer and ding a little bell and have, you know, noise cancelling headphones on. But, you know, find what works for you. Well, and I think another thing for the creative types in terms of their learning is, especially if people went to traditional schooling and they were raised in a more linear way or had a very, you know, parents that were doctors, lawyers, very analytical, that type of thing, or strict or needed them to be a certain way, often feel like their creativity, um, well, one, isn't enough, but that they don't, if they struggled in school or something like that, if they struggled with more linear things that weren't really adapted for the way their brain works, I think sometimes creative people have a hard time being productive because they have some insecurity around it. They think that they're not good at the linear things and the action steps. And when I coach creatives in terms of being, you know, more quote unquote productive, back to what we've both been saying, find your own way. Don't do Mm -hmm. it the way more type A people do it. And I don't, and listen, everybody, I'm not putting the whole world into two boxes. You're either productive or creative. We all have elements of both, but I think all of us can say, okay, I lean more towards the productive or I lean more towards the creative, but I have pieces of either. I would say, I mean, this is not going to shock anyone. I lean more towards the productive and I've learned how to really find my creativity within that. What would you say, Madeline, which do you lean more towards? I would say, I'd say the creative as a, yeah, as a, it's a more cyclical process, I'd say. Yeah. I, I'd say. And it took a long time to see those different seasons in the approach to work. And someone might encounter me in my productive season and think, whoa, you can't can't stop her. But they don't see the, the fallow winter that comes right. after. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I want to talk about internal distractions and how mm. they can really derail our day and what we can do with them. Yes. Oh, can't they? <laughs> you can live a whole other day inside your head. Um, I know. And it's, yeah, it's the, the feelings, the thoughts. It's um, incredible how that can be the thing that, that distracts us, can be the, can be, be more distracting than a knock at the door, <laughs> the internal <laughs> knock. Yeah. And what would you say, how would we, how do we deal with those? How do we, you know, not get derailed by them? Well, still a work in progress there, I'd say, Christine, because I think that in many ways we become more derailed when we try not to be derailed by them. I think that we can fall into, we can have the the internal distraction, the internal knock at the door and um, find ourselves maybe ruminating or spiraling or um, obsessing about something in particular, rehashing a conversation. Um, and then when we can catch ourselves instead of accepting that and, 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 and moving on, um, to a different thought or to, to whatever it is that we need to be doing, we can berate ourselves for having spiraled and like, oh, there I am obsessing. And it can be that, that second arrow that we, that we shoot at ourselves in terms of 
then lamenting that we're distracted and lamenting that we, you know, have have gone off track in in our days and that's when we can spiral and it's very difficult I think to pull ourselves out from that the guilt I, mm-hmm. I suppose on on top of the the internal distractions so I think that like so many things it does come back to acceptance that that happens that we do have internal distractions that we're human beings with thoughts and feelings um and maybe when we have those sometimes the the best thing again might be curiosity um to then lead to acceptance and then perhaps that's a it's a beautiful allowing in many ways allowing for distractions and sometimes maybe even looking at how external distractions work can be a, a nice insight as well in terms of sometimes the external distraction like say we're we're hoping to maybe we're hoping to focus on a task but we find ourselves instead working on another or even just going for a walk sometimes the best thing can be to embrace that very distraction rather than beating ourselves up for being distracted or lamenting the thing we're not doing. Instead, just be there for the thing that we are doing. Mm. And so maybe that's a beautiful way to approach our internal distractions as well. It's it's about attention being the antidote rather than trying to rid our lives of distractions because they're inevitable. They are. They are. And sometimes they can be useful. Sometimes mm. we're distracted in a way that we should be distracted. And yeah. um, it's it's good to give ourselves that freedom of like, hmm, is this a distraction because I'm bored or I'm doing something I don't want to do or I, I need a snack or I need a break or whatever it is. Because when we're when we're really in that flow state, when we're really in that place of doing something that's completely aligned, we don't get as distracted. So I think distracted those distractions can be a little alarm bell as well to go, "Hmm, how do I need to reorient to this task or whatever I'm doing? Or do I need to do this later? Is this not the best time to do this? You know, so Mm. it's, we're recording this on January 17th and I still have my Christmas tree up. And there have been so many days that I am like, okay, I'm going to do it today. And then I'm like, oh, no, (laughs) I just, I get distracted with something else that takes my attention. And so my Christmas tree may be up until Valentine's Day. Who knows? But I've learned that even if I say, okay, I'm going to take the Christmas tree down January 10th, if there's something else that captures my attention that day, it's like, does it matter that the tree is still up? No, mm. it's really pretty. Like it's, it's really pretty and I like looking at it. So giving mm. ourselves that flexibility is important, which brings me to my next question. Because I think a lot of people, and especially you know, in the new year, this is when a lot of us start all these new practices and habits, but we often start disciplines or practices or habits that feel a bit like a punishment. What is mm-hmm. the danger of that? And how do we stop doing that? Yes. So they, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Cause even this idea of resolutions, there's this sort of this, there's this sense of, I need to change myself now. And I need to, it, it's quite a, it's a punishing word in and of itself. And, and, and discipline, it can be something that we, we think is the salve to all of our distractions and our inability to be productive. We think, oh, if only I was a more disciplined person, then I would be better and I'd be able to stick to a routine and I would be able to get through my to-do list and all of these things. We, th- we see it as this promise, but then you, you look into what discipline is and, 
it, there there is a sense of punishment in terms of the actual the, the definition of the word. And I think that for some, maybe that's that is motivating. Um, but for others, I think that that can be really deflating to start out with these things that we want to do in our lives and make them punishing. It it, it just doesn't quite seem to be very inviting at, at the very least. And I think we we make it punishing by perhaps making it unrealistic. Maybe we say that in, instead of saying, okay, well, we're going to run around the block today, we say that we're going to train for a marathon and we make it so big in our mind. We, we actually engineer the overwhelming tidal wave sometimes when we have this this punishing discipline. And so I was, I was reflecting on on this and why I've been resistant myself to different habits and resolutions and and really found that they they didn't work for me and it was this idea of punishment and so I thought what actually can can motivate us and I, I think that every time when you when you see someone maybe refresh their days or or do something new or or change and it can be a beautiful thing to see someone around you change and often at the heart of it is a desire to a, a want and that want is really propelled by things like joy and delight and interest mm. and fascination. You see someone discover something. I recently watched the the Julia Childs documentary. It was so beautiful. And, and she was talking about how I might actually just flip through my journal because it's just a beautiful oh, yeah. line that she said. Have you seen? The, no, I didn't even know there uh, was one. I just started watching the Beatles documentary. Oh, or, oh I see that. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a three-part series on Disney+. Plus. It's three hours each, but I love the Beatles. So I'm, yeah. I'm all in. <laughs> oh, how great. Um, well, when she did like with the the story that I'm sure people are familiar with Julia's child's like finding French, discovering French cooking later in life. And then in the documentary, she just simply put it as I found my way. Mm. And so people can encounter things at any point And then there's this restored fascination and interest. And I think we can do that with so many small little things in our lives. So instead of making resolutions that are punishing or aspiring to be a disciplined person and, and, and starting out with punishment as the motivator, what if you look for things in your life that you're fascinated by, delighted by, and start there? Because if you want to do it and you enjoy doing it, chances are you might keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And then there you are with a discipline. And so I speak about something called delightful discipline. And I try to find, either notice those things that, you know, really light me up or try to inject delight into something instead of starting out with punishment. So even something, I'm sure you've heard of eat the frog method where people start with the most dreaded task in the morning. Are you familiar? <laughs> I've never heard it called eat the oh. frog, but that's a eat terrible visual. <laughs> It's, it was popularized by the author Brian Tracy, but it's something that it's from a Mark Twain quote about how if you eat the frog in the morning, it's the most, you know, awful thing you'll do all day. So it's out of the way. And, you know, for some people that makes sense. Like get the dreaded thing out of the way first and then it's sort of downhill from there for the day. But I say start, I say eat the clotted cream method. So that's inspired by um, a chef and farmer that I interviewed and he started his day with a beautiful bowl of porridge and a big dollop of homemade clotted cream. And he said to me, when I do that, you know, it's starting the del- starting the day with delight. Sometimes it doesn't get much better than that, but then sometimes it does, often it mm-hmm. does. And I thought, why don't we do that? Why don't we start the day with the very thing that delights us the most? And then we can put ourselves in a good mood rather than feeling like we're dreading the day. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes we carry that through. And so I think that there's just something to be said for delightful discipline, I think. I love that. And now I want some cream. 
<laughs> metaphorical frogs and cream. But <laughs> I don't want a frog. Yeah. Um, so do, do you believe in time management techniques? Do you think any of them are effective? Yeah, again, um, if it works for you, it, it's obviously effective. Um, I just think I'd, I don't believe in this one size fits all mm-hmm. um, that we see, this prescriptive, um, yeah, I guess as if we're all these replicas, this, this, we're, it's like we're on a production line and we're all the same and we need to adopt this hack or this management technique. It's, I think that's the, let's all just jump off the conveyor belt <laughs> and find our own way. Yeah. Well, and you have a new book out. I didn't do the thing today. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But I'd love to know what made you so passionate about this topic of, you know, talking about productivity and routines and delightful discipline. What was your journey to coming to become, you know, an expert in this? Hmm. It's interesting because I, I very much see myself as a non-expert expert because mm-hmm. I I started – <laughs> I saw the fascination because of many of the feelings we've just spoken about, really. I, I felt like I was falling short. I was falling behind, couldn't keep up. It felt like everybody had it figured it out, figured out, and I didn't. And so more than half a decade ago, I started asking people how they do what they do, when they do it, what their days look like, um, and predominantly speaking to creative people because I, I that's what I was most sort of mystified by is, is is how creative people build a career and 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 build a life and I was really drawn to that quote by Annie Dillard which is how we spend our days is how we spend our life so I thought if I could figure out how other people spend their days then maybe I wouldn't feel so behind and I could just follow <laughs> suit with what they do and I too could be productive and prolific and so that project is called Extraordinary Routines. And I had hundreds of conversations with people. Mm. And very soon, instead of finding this recipe for productivity, I found that the people that I admired also had these feelings of falling behind and not sure if they're doing it right. And they too procrastinated. They too became distracted. They too had self-doubt. And so it was really illuminating. And in time, the project was less about productivity and more about these shared feelings and and seeing that perhaps it's not so much about productivity being bad but this feeling of productivity guilt or this feeling of that we're getting it wrong is is maybe what we need to address and so that's what the the project has culminated in my new book I didn't do the thing today and it's really those lessons from those shared feelings and and seeing the stumbles that we can encounter because we're so fixated on a narrow version of productivity. Mm. And so it's about broadening that. And, um, and so in many ways it was, a, it's a, it's a personal curiosity and it was a labor of love. These conversations that I, I did on the side of my work as a writer and, and freelance journalist. And so it is at its heart, very non-expert because it, it's just a curiosity and um, a, a self-directed endeavor. Um, but one that I hope that it really helped crystallize for me how important it is to find our own way. And I hope that that's what the book can assist people with as well. Yeah. I I love that. I'm such a champion for people finding their own way. I I definitely believe there's not a one size fits all approach to anything. And I've learned that in being a coach the past 17, 18 Mm -hmm. years is that a technique that may work really well for me doesn't work for other people. And I've really had to, especially with my one-on-one clients, find the coaching style that works for them. So when people ask me, what's your coaching style? Well, it depends on who's in front of me. Really Mm, depends on what's in front of me. 
Um, and of course there's definitely things that, you know, I apply to everyone, compassion, family of origin stuff, so on and so forth. But I think if we can think about, okay, well, if I was seeing a coach or if I was seeing a doctor, if I was seeing whatever, we'd want them to not just apply a structure on us, not just apply a routine on us. We'd want them to get to know us, to find out what works best for us, to personalize it. So Hmm. we should give ourselves that same grace too. You know, I don't use any time management techniques. Time blocking doesn't work for me. Putting things on my calendar works for me, but I know for me, I've been trying to finish a book, which who knows if I ever will. It would be my fourth book. I have been writing it since like, I don't know, 2016, 17, and I Mm -hmm. haven't touched it in well over a year. And I was like, oh, I'm going to finish it when I'm pregnant before I give birth. I'm giving birth in March. Not going to (laughs) happen because I didn't realize, you know, how much space pregnancy takes up. So it's one of those things where it's like I could time block and I could force myself to write it. But I've also learned with creativity that you can't force it. It comes Mm. when it comes and there's a divine timing to everything, relationships, career stuff, but also creative endeavors. And if we're pushing through resistance, I don't think that leads to the best creative results. So, Mm. you know, for anyone who has a project that's been hanging over their head for years, maybe, you know, let it go or just let it unfold slowly, but sitting down and forcing yourself to do it. I don't know. That never has felt good to me. No, oh, I'm just nodding along. So because it, it's it's the thing. It's I think it will. I believe that it will be a better book for you, having let it take the time it needs to take. And it's just so interesting when we hear how hard we can be on ourselves in terms of trying to force ourselves to get a book finished while we're in the late stages of our a pregnancy. It's just like when you hear that objectively, you think, of course you're not going to. It's it, it would be like. To have that compassion makes so much sense when you're on the outside looking in. Right, right. <laughs> if only we were as compassionate with ourselves as we were yeah. with other people. <laughs> yes, that's oh. the thing. Oh. So talk a little bit about your book. I didn't do the thing today, which I love. That's such a great title. Oh, thank you. It's after saying it to myself many, many days <laughs> <laughs> in a row. So yes, it, it really is about that culmination of lessons from from the project and distilling people's wisdom from my conversations with them, but also really trying to find the the common themes and the common stumbles that we encounter with this feeling, feeling behind or or either in our day or, you know, in comparison to other people. And so the chapters are broken up into the different stumbles that we can encounter, be that with expectations or be that with perfectionism, comparison, even ambition. Um, sometimes I think that our ambitions can be to our ambitions for the future can be the very thing that can make us really busy in the present and and that creates its own stumble. So there can almost be this sort of domino effect of the the stumbles of productivity. And so each chapter really explores each of those to again encourage people to to find their own way and, and untangle from this idea of productivity guilt. Mm. So that be that you know, that feeling of, oh, I should be doing this thing, but I'm not, so I don't do anything (laughs) or just being really rigid with a routine or a to-do list. And it's about sort of being more flexible and uh, I suppose embracing the the unpredictability of life because a day will unfold differently. And I think we, we need to sort of be more accepting of that and have that permission slip to, to, to embrace the various versions of our day and versions of ourselves. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. Well, this has been so helpful. I hope that everyone is taking a nice deep breath and is feeling more excited about what you get to do. I know a lot of people call to-do lists, get-to lists, which I which mm-hmm. I like. Yeah, uh, lovely where, reframe. Where can people buy your book, connect with you, read your blog, tell people where to find you? Well, the book is in all good bookstores or online as well. You can find me on Instagram at extraordinary underscore routines, which is the project where I spoke to many creative people about their days. Um, So you can find me there, but I also have a podcast um, called Routines and Ruts with many of the conversations and also different advice, bits and pieces, uh, and a newsletter, which you can find at extraordinaryroutines.com. So many ways to connect and It's just been such a joy to connect with you, Christine. Mm, And likewise, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. And thanks for all the work that you do. I think that things like acceptance and uh, that sort of self-forgiveness has just been such a beautiful through line um, from your work. So, Yeah, well, the best thing is I get to remind myself (laughs) daily. (laughs) So (laughs) That's the key. Exactly. (laughs) 